Hello, and welcome to Right Now with Ralph Martin, a podcast where author, speaker, and worldwide renewal leader, Dr. Ralph Martin, shares what the Holy Spirit has placed on his heart for this moment. Words of encouragement from the Lord to strengthen you for such a time as this. Join us each week, wherever you get your podcasts, to find strength, hope, and courage for the Christian journey. And now, your host, Ralph Martin. Let's begin with a prayer. We're going to be talking about some really important things. We're going to be talking about the four last things, death, judgment, heaven, and hell. And those are pretty important topics, and we need the help of the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, we, we thank you for revealing to us the meaning of human life. We thank you for revealing to us the purpose of human life. We thank you for revealing to us, Lord, the uh, amazing gift you're offering us of eternal life. We ask you to be with us now as we speak about these very important things. We ask this in the name of Jesus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, death, judgment, heaven, and hell, some of the most important things that we can speak about. My name is uh, Dr. Ralph Martin. I teach at the uh, Archdiocese of Detroit Seminary in Michigan, and I'm also president of Renewal Ministries, a Catholic ministry uh, devoted to evangelization and renewal, and I'm very happy to be able to share with you about these things. Where does death come from? Why do we die? Well, it all begins at the beginning, Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. The Lord God then took the man and settled him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate and care for it. The Lord God gave the man this order, You are free to eat from any of the trees of the garden except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. From that tree you shall not eat. When you eat from it, you shall die. The very sad story of the beginnings of our human race is that God created us for an amazing destiny where we would never die but live in paradise, in harmony with nature, in harmony with each other, in harmony with God, sharing the great happiness of that kind of union that kind of life. But we gave in to the temptation of the deceiver, the evil one, the liar, the murderer, the one who seeks to ruin human life. And we fell for the lie that if we disobeyed God, we should be like God's ourselves. And we did the foolish thing. We directly disobeyed a clear, specific command from God with a very clear warning that if we disobeyed, if we rebelled, if we turned away from the source of life, we would die. We would no longer be immortal. We would die the biological death and go back to dust from which we were created. Now, let's take a look at Wisdom chapter 2, verses 23 to 25. God created man incorruptible, and to the image of his own likeness he made him. But by the envy of the devil, death came into the world, and they follow him that are 
on his side. So it wasn't at all God's plan for human beings to die. He created them for uh, blissful happiness. And because of the disobedience, because of the rebellion, because of the foolishness, because of the willfulness, our first parents representing us, we were going to share in their happiness if they had remained faithful. We're going to share in their misery because they weren't faithful. It's something that really gets transmitted to the family. And so all the suffering, all the sorrow, all the betrayal, all the greed, all the lust, all the oppression, all the broken commitments, all the meanness, hostility, and cruelty in the world today comes because we didn't obey God. We rebelled against Him. And now dying is the penalty. Dying is the penalty. The Lord made it clear that death is a penalty for rebellion against God. It wasn't God's intention. It was because of the envy of the devil. What does that mean? That means the devil was furious. He was angry. He was resentful that God was planning to give human beings an incredible status of being brought into the family of God, being created in the image of God, and more than that, being destined for something even higher than that. And the devil, out of envy, out of jealousy, did everything he could to destroy our hope, to destroy our destiny, to destroy our future. And that continues to happen today. All of us are going to have to die biological death. It's the penalty for rebellion. But the eternal punishment that comes with that rebellion can be canceled because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ was willing to take the penalty on himself, because the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, because the second person of the Trinity, God's only beloved, unbegotten Son, uh, you know, kind of became one of us. And because he took upon himself all that evil and all that punishment and conquered it and came forth from the grave in the glory of his resurrection, we, if we join ourselves to him, can not avoid the penalty of biological death, but much, much worse, we can avoid the penalty of eternal death. And that's the great blessing of what it means to be a Christian. If we die with Christ, if we're buried with him in the sacrament of baptism, if we eat his body and drink his blood in the Eucharist, we have eternal life in us, and biological death is not something to be feared. Now, Romans chapter 1 talks about how the penalty for sin is still very active in the world today, and people can choose for disobedience to God or for obedience to God, and the consequences even on this earth, even in this life, are very, very clear and very significant. You know, Romans chapter 1 says that God revealed himself to the whole human race, if you just look at the creation, you can discover that God exists. You can discover that God is powerful. But people, and this is the description of how many of the Gentiles responded to this revelation from God in creation. It says they suppressed the truth. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They worshiped the creature rather than the creator. And as a consequence, 
God turned them over to their own minds that were getting darker by the day, and they became confused, gender confusion. Uh, men gave up natural intercourse with women and had, natural, had intercourse with one another. Women gave up natural intercourse with men and had intercourse with one another. And then all kinds of other disaster began to come into the lives of those who turned away from God on this earth. Uh, verse 28 from chapter 1 of Romans. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a base mind and to improper conduct. They were filled with all manner of wickedness, evil, covetousness, malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malignity. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. What a, what a terrifying picture of human life apart from Christ. What a terrifying picture of those who reject the revelation that God is making of himself to every human being. Romans chapter 1 says God's revealed himself in the creation. Romans chapter 2 says God reveals himself and gives light to every person's conscience. And, and when you reject the light that God gives to our conscience, when you reject his, his testimony to his own existence that he gives in the creation, you're, you're signing up for darkness. But even worse, though they know God's just decree, that those who do such things, all those terrible things that are so characteristic of life in the world, when people do such things, they deserve to die. Not only, and that they not only do them, but approve those who practice them. So when people give themselves over to darkness, they not only do the deeds of darkness themselves, all these horrible deeds, but they encourage others to do them also. And that's the culture we're living in. There's a, a powerful hostility to Christ in the church that's growing throughout the world, uh, trying to urge people, trying to bully people, trying to push people to a life that rejects God, and a life that exalts the human being as God himself in the place of God, and, and, and elevates technology, and elevates political power, and elevates so-called wisdom of, of, of our universities, over and above the revelation that God gives to us in so many different ways. But fortunately, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. It's all about love. We exist only because we're loved. The universe exists only because we're loved. And God didn't leave us in this terrible condition that Romans chapter 1 describes with those dozens of wicked things going on, making human life miserable and hate-filled. God didn't leave us there, but he sent his only son. Wow. That whoever believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. And here we're touching on our topics, death, judgment, heaven, and hell. Whoever believes in the Lord 
doesn't come under judgment, doesn't end up in hell, but actually gets eternal life. But if you pay attention closely to John chapter 3, verse 16, it says, God is so much love, he's, he's giving his son, his son is suffering and dying for us on the cross, but we have to respond to that love, we have to respond to that gift with faith, with repentance, with gratitude, with thanksgiving, asking God to have mercy on us, to forgive our sins and forgive our rebellion and, and give us a clean heart. And if we do that, if we believe in him, and believing in him is not just an intellectual assent, believing in him is a surrender, a surrender of, of faith that involves obedience. And then that little phrase there, it says, those who believe in him will not perish. To refuse to believe in him really risk perishing. And perishing means not just experiencing physical, biological death, but experiencing something the scripture calls the second death, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. But the amazing thing that God is offering us fallen human beings a chance for eternal life, a chance for the punishment of, of dying, a biological death as a temporary punishment, but opening the door to eternal life. So death for a Christian is very, very different than death for somebody who refuses to believe and refuses to repent. In fact, one of the gravest sins that the New Testament talks about is the sin of unbelief, not to believe in the testimony that God the Father is giving through his son Jesus, not to believe in the testimony of Jesus' miracles, not to believe in the testimony of the very anointing of the Holy Spirit with which Jesus speaks. You know, scripture says that nobody spoke with such authority. Uh, and the testimony that God gives to the apostles, that God gives through the apostolic writings that we have in sacred scripture, that God gives through the church. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 to 15. Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same nature that through death he might destroy him who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong bondage. So one of the things that Jesus did is defeat the power of the devil. And it's really interesting to read what it says here in Hebrews chapter 2. It says, he in some ways has the power of death. He, he, he rightfully is gloating over the punishment that's been inflicted on the human race. And Jesus came to deliver us not just from eternal death, but he also came to deliver us from the fear of death that keeps us in lifelong bondage. What does that mean? Fear of death is, is fundamentally a, a fear of not being, of not having, of not surviving, of not being loved, of not having enough to live, of not being esteemed, of not being valued, uh, of disappearing. Not only the fear of not having food and drink and clothing and shelter, but the fear of not having what we need to keep on living, to keep on going. The fear of, of death, of, of not being anymore, of not having anymore of being in emptiness and darkness and not being loved, being alone, being abandoned. Jesus came to deliver us from that fear. 
which keeps us in bondage. Now, how are we kept in bondage through the fear of death? Well, the fear of death keeps us from loving. The fear of death keeps us from giving. The fear of death keeps us from praising, from rejoicing, from hoping, from living in freedom. You know, they say 365 times in the scripture, one place or another, it says, do not be afraid. Hebrews chapter 13 says, be content with what you have because the Lord is your helper and he's made a promise to you. What's the promise that God the Father has made to us? It says it exactly in Hebrews chapter 13. I will never abandon you nor forsake you. And then it goes on to say, therefore, we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can human beings do to me? So that kind of freedom, that kind of freedom from not being a slave to material possessions, not being a slave to anxiety or fear, that kind of freedom comes from one thing. It comes from the hope we have because of the resurrection of Jesus. John chapter 11, verses 25 to 26. Jesus is speaking to Martha, the sister of Lazarus, who Jesus is just going to raise from the dead. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? St. Paul says, if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, our faith is in vain. This is at the very center of our faith as, as Christians. Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. He makes us a promise. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, even though he dies, still going to die a biological death, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die, shall never experience eternal death. Do you believe this? So as we move through this talk, it's a time to ask ourselves a question. Do we believe who Jesus is? Do, believe, do we really believe he is the word made flesh? Do we really believe he's come for the Father? Do we really believe what he says that if we believe in him, we'll never see eternal death? I do. And I hope you do too, because it's our hope of really being delivered from the terrible curse that's come upon the human race because of our rebellion against God. Matthew chapter 10, verses 16 to 32. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and flog you in their synagogues, and you'll be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear testimony before them and the Gentiles. So Jesus is here prophesying persecution. He does this many, many times. He says, if they did this to me, they're going to do it to you. The servant is not above his master. But Jesus is trying to fortify his disciples who will experience difficulty, rejection, persecution, misunderstanding. 
He's trying to fortify them with his promise of eternal life and his promise to be with him in the moment of temptation, in the moment of trial. And he says, don't even try to prepare beforehand what you're going to say when they accuse you and, and mock you. Don't, don't, don't even try to prepare in advance because it will be given to you at that time. The Holy Spirit will give you the words you are to speak. Now, persecution is coming our way again. We've lived in relative peace with a culture that's been nominally Christian or nominally Catholic, but, but that, that symbiosis between the church and our culture is breaking down. And more and more our culture is becoming incredibly hostile and, and, and opposed to uh, Christ and the church. Not just because of the failures of the church, not just because of, of the clergy sex abuse scandal, not just because of the financial scandal, but they don't want to be anybody higher than their own designs for remaking the human race in their image. It's the Tower of Babel all over again. It's, it's Marxism all over again. It's trying to create a, a, a society on earth in human images. And because fallen human beings are doing it, every attempt to create a perfect society on earth usually ends in creating hell on earth. Whether it's the violence and, and tragedy of the French Revolution or the 70 years of concentration camps of Soviet Russia or the re-education camps today in the People's Republic of China, every attempt to take the place of God and create a paradise on earth creates eventually a hell on earth, but even more, cuts people off from the greatest gift of all, eternal life. So let's continue with Matthew chapter 10. When they deliver you up, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. But that means we need to be living in a daily relationship with the Lord so that when the Holy Spirit gives us words, we're able to hear them and, and pass them on. We need to have that you know, daily prayer time, that daily meditation on Scripture, that, that heart that's turned to the Lord that tries to be aware of His presence all day long. Brothers will deliver up brother to death, and the father his child. Your children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you'll be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end will be saved. So we really need to set ourselves for the long haul. The Christian life isn't a sprint, it's a marathon. And uh, he who endures to the end will be saved. It's not enough to be excited about the Lord for a few years or serve him faithfully even for 50 years. We can't turn away. We have to be faithful to the end because he who endures to the end will be saved. But one of the things that's happening today is a lot of sorrow in Catholic families. Catholic families who tried to raise their children Christian, a lot of times the children are departing from the faith and there's just real pain and real division in families. And Jesus says that um, it's going to happen. Brother will deliver up brother to death, the father's child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And another time he says, I haven't come to bring peace, I've come to bring a sword. And it's going to be uh, fathers turning against sons and sons against fathers. Now we need to make careful, be careful that this isn't because of our own sin that this is happening, but out of fidelity to Christ. And we can never deny Christ. And that's why Jesus says, unless you love me more than your parents, more than your mother and father, more than your sons and daughters, you're not worthy to be a disciple of mine. So as persecution comes closer, as the culture closes in, 
as they start to calling us haters because we're faithful to Christ and his teaching, particularly in the area of marriage and family life, we need to know who we're going to be loyal to, who we're going to be faithful to, and we're not going to ever burn incense to Caesar, no matter how much pressure they put on us, even if it causes division in the closest of relationships. A disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. It's enough for the teacher to be for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. So have no fear of them. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. You know, scripture says fear of the Lord is the beginning of the wisdom. And there's so much foolishness in the world and church today because there's so little fear of the Lord, so much of that not understanding who God is. God is God, and we need to really be humble before him and reverent before him and ever so attentive to his His revelation of his will for our lives and, and the direction and guidance he's giving us about how we can end up in heaven rather than in hell. So Jesus says, don't fear those who can kill the body, but rather put the priority on the, the death of the soul. Then he goes on to say, because this is in the context of, the, of, of persecution, whoever denies me before men, I will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Now, this is a hard saying of Jesus. This is a shocking statement. You know, a lot of people today have gotten into picking and choosing from what Jesus says about those things they agree with and those things they don't agree with. Well, everything that Jesus says is true. Everything that Jesus says, he says out of love. Everything that Jesus tells us is really important for us ending up in heaven rather than hell. And we're utter fools if we pick and choose from what he teaches to suit, to suit us. We're utter fools. So when Jesus says, whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. We've got to be ready. We've got to prepare ourselves by lives of holiness right now, by lives of fidelity to Christ and meditating on his word. We need to be with other people who can encourage us on the spiritual journey. So when, when moments of decision come, when moments of temptation come, we don't give in to the temptation or the pressure to deny Jesus, but we're willing to experience some suffering, some consequences uh, from our faithfulness to Jesus. And then he goes on to say, do not think I've come to bring peace on earth. I come not to bring peace, but a sword, where he talks about the family division. And then he says, he who loves mother or father more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Another hard saying. We have understandably deep emotional bonds with family members. And it's very, very hard for us to wrestle with what Jesus is saying here. But what he's saying here. Unless I'm first in your life, your life's not going to go well. Your relationships aren't going to go well. You're not going to know how to truly love people. You may end up even under emotional manipulation uh, and guilt and shame uh, in confirming people on the way to hell because you don't have the courage to tell them the truth in love about what they must do to be saved and what we can support them in doing, what we can't support them in doing. He who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me and so on and so forth. Now, because it's so important to obey Jesus, because it's so important to pay attention to what he says, time after time he says, get your priorities straight. If you want to end up well, if you want to truly love, 
if you want to have the peace that the world can't give you, if you want to have a joy even in the midst of persecution, get your decisions straight. Make your choices clear. Matthew chapter 5, verses 27, verses 17 to 20, he says, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So he's not just talking about temptations to lust or temptations to adultery or fornication or whatever, whatever sexual sin it might be. He's talking about giving into it in our heart, taking delight in it, taking pleasure in it, receiving it, uh, accepting it in some significant way. Uh, Temptations are always going to come to us, but we need to just keep saying no. It's when we say yes to the temptation that it starts to really cloud and darken our soul. And Jesus is calling us not just not to do the act of adultery, but he's saying don't don't welcome the temptation. Don't take delight in it. Reject it when it comes. And then he says, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and throw it away. It's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Where did the whole teaching on hell come from? It's not the invention of the church. It's the love of Jesus warning us about the consequences of not believing in him, not accepting his forgiveness, not repenting, not believing. And basically what Jesus is saying here, he's not saying literally cut off your hand or literally uh, pluck out your eye. He's saying do whatever you need to do to get free of serious sin. And that's just really, really important. When we meditate on the four last things, death, judgment, heaven, and hell, we need to get really clear that Jesus says take whatever radical measures you have to take to get free of serious sin. If it means getting rid of your computer because you're using it for pornography, do that. If it means not having more than one drink because then you really fall into temptation, you got to stop. If it means hanging out with certain people that lead you to sin, you got to stop. Uh, if you need to join a 12-step group or frequently go to confession or have an accountability person that you report to, do whatever you need to do to get free from serious sin. Get prayer for healing, get prayer for deliverance, whatever you need to do. Because better to save your life for eternal life than to lose it by giving in to our disordered desires or the pressure from the culture or the fiery darts of the evil one that he's firing at us all day long. Okay, let's see how it all comes together here. Revelations chapter 20, verses 11 to 14. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Also another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, by what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead in them, and all were judged by what they had done, whether they had followed Jesus, whether they had obeyed him, whether they had accepted the mercy of God. 
and repented. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. So Christians, don't be afraid of the first death. The death of a Christian is, is a holy and happy thing, even though it may be filled with pain and suffering. The pain and suffering of biological death for a Christian is the last surrender, the last letting go, uh, the last taking upon ourselves the appropriate punishment for sin. And it opens up into the glory of God and resurrected bodies and God wiping away every tear and reunion with all those who also died faithful to Jesus. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. We're going to see who's in the lake of fire in just a minute. The reason why Jesus says, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body, but rather afraid of the death of the soul, spiritual death, is because biological death has been overcome in Jesus and for a Christian, we don't have to be afraid. We're going to get eternal life. And eternal life is not just a prolongation of biological life as we know it on this earth. It's at a far higher, better, more wonderful level. Let's see what another description is in Revelation. Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 to 8. Do whatever you need to do so that your name is written in the book of life. How does your name get written in the book of life? You become a friend of Jesus. You become a brother of Jesus. You follow him. You obey him. You don't deny him when pressure comes. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Our life on this earth is very, very short. Psalm 90 says, meditate on the shortness of life and gain wisdom of heart. Life is very, very short and only one thing matters. During the course of our life, are we going to come to faith to Jesus Christ? Are we going to repent of our sins? Are we going to decide to follow him? Are we going to avail ourselves of the sacraments of the Catholic Church? Are we going to remain faithful? And when we fall, are we going to go to confession and have our sins forgiven? That's the only decision that really matters. That's the only choice that ever matters. Life on earth is very short. It passes in a split second. And eternity is very, very long. Do we want that to be an eternity of unbelievable joy and unbelievable happiness and unbelievable love and communion and friendship with God and with each other? Or do we want to spend eternity 
by our own choice, our own decision, our own foolishness, our own rebellion, experiencing the second death in the lake of fire. And he who sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Everything that we loved on earth, everything that we look to for happiness on earth exists in heaven in a fuller and better way. And he said to me, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the fountain of the water of life without payment. He who conquers shall have this heritage. We've got to conquer. We've got to pick up our cross every day and follow the Lord. We've got to say no to sin. We've got to say yes to love and yes to obedience. We've got to actually overcome obstacles. So many times in Scripture it talks about being put to the test. So many times in Scripture it says being worthy of eternal life. We, we are not on our own worthy of eternal life. We are not on our own able to be worthy of eternal life. But what we're able to do is say, Jesus, make me worthy of eternal life. Make me worthy of eternal life. Purify my soul. Cleanse my sins. Heal my soul. Make me worthy of eternal life. Help me to grow in holiness. He who conquers shall have this heritage, and I will be his God. And he shall be my son. But as for the cowards, the faithless, the polluted, as for murderers, fornicators, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their lot shall be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death, and it never ends. Our choices, our decisions have consequence. The reason why the church over the centuries has drawn our attention to the four last things is because it helps us focus right now what our priorities should be and what our choices should be. After death, the judgment, and then either heaven or hell. The choice is yours. Choose wisely. Amen. This podcast is brought to you by Renewal Ministries, part of the Renewal Podcast Network. If you are enjoying this podcast, we invite you to help us spread the word by leaving us a rating or review, following or subscribing to this podcast, or sharing on social media. Until next time, this is Right Now with Ralph Martin. Ralph Martin.